welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Good morning, people of the Vine. Today is Sunday, September 27th. And on the traditional church calendar, it's a day to remember the life of a 17th century French priest named Vincent de Paul, who devoted his life to serving the poor and the enslaved of his time, uh, people that many assumed were very far from God. And today we're going to look at at another figure, an Old Testament prophet who was called by God to serve some folks who also seemed far away from God. But... This man's journey of obedience came with great difficulty. It's the story of Jonah, which comes to us, of course, from the Bible. Now, to set this up, Jonah has, has finally obeyed God. He is, he's gone to the city of Nineveh, called the people to repentance, and they've responded positively. And they have turned their lives to God. And we pick up the story here in this reading from the book of Jonah. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways. God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But this was very pleasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord. And to add to that, The Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 20. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, 
I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. And this is the Gospel of the Lord. The story of Jonah is probably one of the most familiar in the Bible. Uh, most people would associate Jonah with the giant fish that swallowed him. If, uh, if you are of an age that recalls Sunday school lessons with flannel graphs, and some of you will have to Google that, flannel graphs. Uh, some of you might remember the, the felt cutouts that depicted the event. Now, I, I checked on Amazon, and today you can purchase plush toys that allow young children to pry open the mouth of the giant fish and stuff little Jonah inside as he smiles rather benignly at his fate. But the story of Jonah is much bigger than the fish. In fact, it's not really about the fish at all. And even though Jonah is the main character, the story isn't really about Jonah. The story is about God. Now, most of you are probably familiar with the backstory to the text that I read today. God has summoned Jonah to travel to the grand desert city of, of Nineveh, which would be in present-day Iraq. Uh, and he sends him there to, to call the people to repentance because they apparently have been behaving quite badly. In response, Jonah has the opposite direction, and he boards a ship heading off to a port city called Tarshish. But it appears that God's concerns about the people of Nineveh have not disappeared with Jonah's desertion. So God sends a storm, and the ship is now in danger. The sailors figure out that Jonah is the likely source of the problem, and so they call on him to plead to his God for rescue, since the gods they've been shouting out to aren't doing them much good at the moment. Instead, Joseph, Joseph, Jonah tells them to toss him into the sea. And after a while, that's exactly what they do. And as soon as Jonah hits the water, the storm ceases, and the sailors give praise to Jonah's God. It, it's a rather odd kind of evangelistic moment, really. And of course, that's where the fish comes in. Jonah may have thought that, that he would just drown and put an end to God's plan. But instead, the fish shows up, and, and after three days of Jonah marinating in the fish's digestive juices, it, it spews him out on dry land, or vomits him out, as some of the uh, various versions of the Bible put it rather indelicately. And after that, Jonah finally accepts his assignment, and he heads off toward Nineveh. Now, at this point in the story, we, we, we don't know exactly why Jonah was so resistant to God's call to go to Nineveh. In fact, his resistance continues throughout the story as Jonah even gets cranky when the mission actually succeeds. So it, it could be that Jonah was nervous about the people of Nineveh. The city was uh, considered to be the center of worship to a goddess called Ishtar. So how would the authorities respond to a Hebrew prophet proclaiming the intentions of, of a God they knew nothing about. And, and the city was very large, probably the largest in that part of the ancient world. So what impact could one lonely prophet have in such a setting? 
But it's also possible that Jonah's resistance was grounded in his own belief about the proper role and environment for a prophet. God calls Jonah to go, and he actually obeys that part of the command. He, he goes all right, but not to where God wanted him to go. He went where he preferred to go. Maybe he saw Tarshish as a more fitting parish for a prophet of his caliber. You know, it's, it's a bit painful for me to admit this, but I've experienced a bit of this in my own life, and, and maybe some of you have as well. We who are followers of Jesus are always being called by God to be his people for the sake and the blessing of the world. And that calling never, ever ceases. But there are also callings that come to us along the way that are part of that larger calling, kind of subsets to that call. It might have to do with a vocation we pursue or the way we make decisions about money, even considering important life transitions like marriage. I've experienced a number of those smaller callings throughout my life, and and I've learned something. When I've gone my own way, and in doing so have stopped paying attention to God, the experience has ranged from from. Uh, just okay to utterly disastrous. But when I've been confident that God was leading me and felt like his fingerprints were all over everything, the experience has always been life-giving, even when difficult. And, and maybe some of you can relate to that. I, I've, I've just learned that going to Nineveh beats sitting in the belly of a fish any day. Anyway, uh, Jonah goes, and uh, Nineveh would have been a complicated place with, with architectural grandeur, with commerce, with political drama, and apparently enough wickedness to catch God's attention. Jonah has reluctantly stepped into the experiential reality of his vocation, and now he finds himself in a tragic place. It, it's tragic for a number of reasons, but mostly because God is warning the people about impending doom. And when the people respond, Jonah's not happy about it. He, he does not rejoice. Instead, the prophet is angry. The prophet sulks and pouts. And the prophet even blames God and says, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. Well, we don't know exactly when Jonah said this to God. It certainly wasn't when he prayed during his time inside the fish. That was a compilation of phrases from the Psalms. But we'll take Jonah's word for it. He he seems to be saying, so what was the point of this, God? You're going to do what you're going to do no matter what. You're gracious and you're merciful and you're loving and you're willing to relent from punishment. That's who you are and that's what you do. So why did I have to get involved? Why did I have to do all of this? You know, this is actually a very remarkable word about God. Uh, I don't know that Jonah intended it that way, but that's what it is. Indeed, it's not a bad question. Why does God care whether or not his people actually do anything redemptive in the world, since he's powerful enough to do whatever he wants to do? 
Jonah had a, a theological conviction about God's character, which was, which was good, but he lacked understanding about how God's intentions actually worked. There's just something about how God works that always seems to involve his people. And God doesn't just drop his people into a void and expect them to make things happen out of nothing. He draws them into places where he's already at work. God was not absent in Nineveh, only showing up when Jonah preached and people responded. Jonah couldn't have possibly been that good of a preacher. Instead, God's call to Jonah included God's presence. Isn't it amazing for us to realize that God, as he summons us into places of ministry in everyday life, is already working before we ever show up. That his presence is already active in some of the most unlikely of places. Nineveh was an unlikely place for God's presence, certainly by Jonah's reckoning. But Jonah stepped onto holy ground when he reached the city and found the fertile soil of human hearts that God had been preparing. God's presence and preparation would not be absent from Jonah's participation. You know, honestly, Jonah is not a particularly good prophet. Uh, in fact, the book of Jonah isn't even by him like the other prophetic books are by their authors. It's just about him. And, and he tries to ditch God several times in the story. When he realizes that his detour to Tarshish has been found out, he surrenders himself to drowning, which would be the ultimate dodge of his responsibilities. But he seems to have forgotten that God is the God of the sea as well as the dry land and also of all of its creatures. And, and God is not shy about sending the fish to rescue Jonah. When Jonah sees the inhabitants of Nineveh repenting and turning to God, he leaves the city and he watches to see what will happen next, maybe wondering if God will do a repeat of Sodom and Gomorrah and send destruction after all. And as he sits in his little shelter, he learns very quickly that God is the God of the whole world, including the God of plants and worms and the wind. But God's response to Jonah is tender. It's even an invitation to reason together. God says that there are a lot of confused people in Nineveh, and he cares for them. And he, he cares for the animals as well. God is God over the whole of the creation, not just over Jonah and his kinfolk. This is a good word for us today, isn't it? The God whom we worship is the God of the entire world. The created order is his, and his care extends to all, even to the animals. You know, we can become very discouraged in our time with so much drama and difficulty all around us. There are a lot of angry people around. There's a lot of confused people who don't know their right from their left. And yet, the story of Jonah reminds us that God is present and at work in the most unlikely of places, places where he summons us to participate in what he's doing. God doesn't really seem to care when people show up to meet him, whether at the beginning of the day or at the five o'clock whistle when it's time to collect their wages. 
His generosity is unfathomable to us. As we read in Isaiah 40, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. One of the things that is truly unsearchable for us is God's utter generosity. That's what riled Jesus' detractors when he reached out to the marginalized and the diseased, to the the broken and the despised. Jesus' opponents just couldn't get their minds around the idea that God's love was not restricted only to those who had earned it. In this time of transition at the vine, it might be easy for us to ask a whole lot of what questions. Questions like, what are we going to do next? What will happen to this thing or, or that thing? What will we do if this happens or if that happens? There are all kinds of ways to ask what and a lot of ways to just speculate ourselves into distraction. But maybe instead, we might together start asking a how question. How will we see God's generosity revealed to us in this time and place? Maybe that will be a question of hopeful expectation that helps us open our eyes to what God is doing in our midst. As we continue to sense how God is leading us as a church, we'll want to make sure to head to Nineveh if that's where he's telling us to go. The lure of Tarshish will always be there, but then we do know how that turned out for Jonah. The generosity of God. Just think on that for a moment. God has given all that the world needs in order to exist and sustain. God has given all of himself to us in the person of Jesus, the Christ. He has granted to us the gift of that great cloud of witnesses that speaks to us through our scriptures, filled with the very breath of God. And he has given us his spirit, the Holy Spirit, who comes alongside us and brings us comfort and care and healing. Even in a time like this, when so many have suffered loss, we have the opportunity to experience God's generosity in new ways. We experience it in new ways of being together, in expressing God's love to those around us, in learning to engage with God in the midst of isolation and hearing his voice in fresh ways. I think that this admonition to early Christians from the book of James helps to open our eyes to God's generosity. So, my very dear friends, don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. There is nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced, nothing fickle. He brought us to life using the true word, showing us off as the crown of all his creatures. Our God may be 
mysterious, but he isn't deceitful. We may not be certain about what lies ahead for any of us or for all of us, but we can be confident in the generosity of the self-giving God who has revealed himself to us in Jesus. Amen.